Normally, I try and prepare sermons two or three weeks in advance, and this one's been a little bit short, so we will pray for God's word to come out of my mouth and not my words, so we appreciate it. On September 16, 1976, a trolley bus in Erevan, Armenia, if anybody knows, a, a trolley bus is something that runs on tracks, it has a large um, electrical connection that comes up to the back. And you see them, they're, they're ubiquitous in the former Soviet Union. It was going on its regular route. Everything was fine. There's an area where it comes up and crosses a bridge slash dam. And just before it got to that bridge a passenger requested to get off. Now, if you understand, you can't get off just any place. You can only get off at where the trolley bus stops. But this passenger wanted to get off right here. It was more convenient for him to get home to get off right here. And when the bus driver said no, he began to fight with the bus driver. The trolley bus driver lost control and the trolley bus skipped the tracks, went through a large iron grate over the side of the bridge and plunged into the lake behind the dam. At that point, it was at the deepest part of this lake. It was 30 feet of water. 92 passengers, including the driver, went straight to the bottom. Sharavish Karpetyan, uh, an honored master of sports in the Soviet Union at that time. In fact, he was a 10-time fin swimming champion. This is where you put on fins, you swim down a rope as far as you can, holding your breath the whole time, and then coming back up. He was a world record holder 17 times in this event. He was training that day and was running past the bridge with his brother and also his trainer. And they heard the crash, so they sprinted over. Not thinking of himself, he said to his brother, I'm going to jump in and save those people. You jump in with my trainer, and you will pull the people to shore as I bring them up. Understand this is 30 feet down. This is three times the length of a normal pool. He dove down. It was very murky because of the silt and everything next to the dam. He could barely see. He kicked out the window of this trolley bus with his feet. And he began to pull people out. Again and again, he knew he had, he'd had very little time, but it took him 30 to 35 seconds to dive down there, pull a person out, bring them back up. He rescued, or I should say, he pulled about 35 bodies out of this bus. The last time he drove down, he thought he had a body, but it was actually one of the leather seat covers. He had actually ripped it off the seat and carried it up. He managed, he managed to rescue 20 individuals. He actually pulled up 35 bodies, but of that, 20 individuals lived. The rest died in that cold water. He received several wounds, and because this lake 
had fresh, um, what do you, I, you know, it, it was fresh sewage in there. He cut his leg. He was so tired and everything that his body was so weakened that he was admitted to the hospital himself and he was unconscious for 45 days. He caught sepsis because of the raw sewage and it actually finished his career. He could no longer do his diving. Now in the former Soviet Union, everything was perfect. So trolley buses did not go off of tracks. They did not go off of dams. So this news was suppressed for two years. It was kept in the district attorney's office with the pictures and everything. There was no rewards given. There was no honor given. Nothing. About two years later, on October, actually it wasn't until October 12, 1982, when the weekly news magazine that was published by Pravda, this was a separate magazine from the Pravda newspaper, published about his feet and called it the battle, the underwater battle of the champion. When they revealed this, they actually, the, the actual person actually received 60,000 letters because of this event. There are other stories that go with us about one lady who became a nurse, who he had rescued, who he had saved. And this lady said that about two weeks later, a person called her up and said, I am your rescuer. And she invited him to come over because she wanted to thank him. When, when he knocked at the door and she invited him in, she says, I knew it was not him. I knew by his hands it was not him. She did not actually meet him until 20 years later. A few years later, he actually got married. Never told his wife. And when this news broke, she said, why didn't you ever tell me? He says, that was me rescuing lives. Now I am married to you. It is a different life. A few years ago when the Olympics came to Russia, he actually had even trouble walking at that time. But he carried the Olympic torch for 100 meters in the, in the large run that they made all around the Soviet Union to bring it. He was able to barely finish his run. And few people knew about what he had done. In fact, the only honor that he was ever given by the Soviet Union was a medal that they give for anyone that saves a life from drowning. So when we talk about our sermon today, the title, which is different, of course, than the bulletin, but it's not another medal but another life. The quest for love is great in today's world. Love is needed, love is wanted, and discussed back and forth. But it's still not usually found where it's supposed to be found. 
You may ask people what they want most in life, and they'll say money. But usually in deeper conversations, what is asked about is they want love. The more we get into the discussion of love, the more we realize love is something you cannot put a value on. You can't put it on a scale on one side and put coinage on the other side and get the scale ever to balance. There is no way to put enough on the other side of love. You can't buy it. And the more people attempt to buy it, the more their spirits are crushed and broken and they are left on the side of the road. Wise Solomon says in Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 7, Mighty waters cannot extinguish love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If a man were given all his wealth for love, he would be utterly scorned. What beauty is love? Love is something we cannot buy, but it is something we get for free and we can give for free. That hunger for love gets stronger the closer we get to end of times. We read in John 15:11, I have spoken these things so that you may have, that you may joy and your joy may be complete. This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No greater love than this that someone should lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You know, in thinking about these words of Jesus, I'm simply amazed at this simple statement. I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. Notice here, it's not a suggestion. It's not... Well, maybe you should love other people. It's a command that we love one another. But I know I don't know about you, but being commanded to love those who are unlovable is a little bit difficult for me. When we choose people, we usually choose to love those that are closest to us or those that we like. At a teacher conference, a teacher kind of was thinking about this, and as the conversation was flowing back and up, back and forth, she stood up and said, we are not paid to love those in our class. We're paid to teach. But another teacher said, you're absolutely right. We are not paid to love those we teach, but I want to remind you, that people learn more from love than they learn from teaching. We do not like to be told who we should love or who we should like. We first love ourselves, and this love comes naturally the way we are born. It takes a whole life to learn how to love as Jesus loved. And when he commands us, this is my command to love one another as I have loved you, how do we learn to do this? Do we naturally love one another as Jesus commanded? No. Whom do we love naturally? Only ourselves. Do we like to be loved? 
Of course, that's as natural as breathing. We want love. Is it easy to give love? No. Sometimes it is hard. We just learned from Jesus here that we have been commanded to give love. For love is not something we may buy or acquire. Love is something we can only give free or receive freely. And all other attempts will fail. And then when we finally agree that we are to love one another, the question will be, how much or how strong do you love that other person? How far does love go? Can we set limits on it? Can we say, well, I'll love this person and do this? A man was just returning from church. And as he was walking by the street, he saw actually a person that was lying in a mud puddle, drunk and actually asleep. There was a terrible smell coming from this person. And this Christian person had a dilemma. Do I go over and bother this person? What should I do? But he decided to go over and realized as he touched this person, it was a neighbor. So he said, well, I will try and help this person today. As he shook him and began to wake him up, he didn't realize what he was in for. So the drunk man woke up and he recognized this man also. The Christian man leaned down and said, Hey, what are you doing here in this dirty mud puddle? If you're sleeping here, you could actually drown even in two, three inches of water. The drunk man said, I don't care. I don't think anyone else cares about me either. The Christian man replied, Well, today I care about you. Why do you care? answered the drunk man. Well, because I love you and I care for you. You? You care for me, answered the drunk person. Yes, I do, confirmed the Christian man. Well, if you care for me, give me your hand. The Christian looked at the hand of the drunk man, all dirty, covered in mud, and he reached out his hand and he said, Okay, come, I will help you stand. He helped the man to stand up, and then the drunk man said to him, Why do you love me? I love you because God loves me. And why does God love me? He died for me, and he died for you. So God loves me now? Asked the drunk man. Yes, he does. Well, you gave me your hand, but if you really love me, you'll give me a hug. Now, this was getting messy. Christian man didn't know what to do. I mean, okay, if you're a Christian person and you're in your nice suit, and I give this man a big hug, and then I go home, what are people going to say? Right? I just came out of church and now I'm all dirty. Do you come to church dirty? What will people say about you? You're unclean. You shouldn't be here, right? He didn't know what to do, but he decided, I will give this man a hug. Not knowing 
that the next Sabbath, that man was sitting next to him in church, singing praises to God. A God that so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How far does God go? No greater love has this than a man should lay down his life for friends. We have all heard these stories, but in World War II, as the war was raging, we have a picture of the concentration camps in Auschwitz and Buchenwald. And we have one specific picture of two prisoners in Auschwitz. And every once in a while, someone would do something wrong. And just out of spite, they would do like the old Romans used to do. That's where we get the word decimate. Does anybody know what that means? It means you count off every tenth person. And that tenth person is hung on a cross. So they would go through Auschwitz and they would count up every tenth person. Or maybe today he feels like every fourth person. Whatever they feel like. And that person would go to the execution chamber that day. It was routine, and they knew that counting off what would happen. So this person was quickly counting, and he switched positions with his friend so that he became the tenth person, not his friend. When the number was called, he stepped forward and took his friend's place. And within a few minutes, he was executed. But I want us to look another side of this story. It's easy for us to lay down our lives for our friends, to go out of our way for our friends. But look at what Jesus is saying. For when we look at Romans 5, verses 7 and 8, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. It's easy for us to die for a righteous man because we will gain the rewards that come with that. But God demonstrates his love. In verse 8, it says, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we die for a good person, we will get credit for that. But do you understand what Christ died for? He died for us, someone who we dislike, right? We dislike sinners. And this does not make sense. Christ died for us. For someone who was lost, dirty, sinful, stinky, hateful, miserable, unforgiving, wicked, Christ died for that person. Is this a person that's easy to love? Is it easy to love a person that tells you, I hate you to your face? That tells you to go away, I don't need you? Is that what we die for? I was thinking about this the other day and. Why did God choose to love us? Why did he choose to save us? Why did he think we were worthy of that sacrifice? Was there some sort of Nobel Prize in heaven that was given for our salvation? What were we given or what was given to Jesus when he saved us? It's a tough question as you think and you ponder and you go over this again and again. It's a serious question. I need to know, why did Jesus die for me? 
Why did he die on the cross? And when I think of it this way, there's only one answer that comes back from this question. And that question is, he died on the cross to save me in my sinful state so I could be his friend. What an awesome God. He paid for our sins with his wounds, his humiliation, and his death. But Jesus said, I'll take it because he loves us. He died because he wants to be with us. That's it. As I think about that man, that free diver who rescued so many people at the bottom of the lake, what was moving him to dive in at that time? In discussing with us, the reporter is talking with his brother, and, and his brother takes him out to that bridge, and he points, and he says, this is where my brother dove in. And the reporter turns to his brother and said, would you have dove in? He says, I don't think I would have. His brother only dove in because he saw that his brother dove in first. His brother didn't even stop to think about it. I might die. I don't care. Why did he dive in? Was it for the glory? It's interesting if you take this person and you Google this person and you see the pictures of him, his body is covered in medals from his sports. Now, the medal that he got from the Soviet Union for saving these people is just a real small little pin. So his body is covered with his sports medals. That's what he was. But by saving 20 people, he lost it all. When you go into this world and work for God, what is it you're working for? Is it that medal of salvation? Is that what you're working for? Is it another reward that you're working for? When you knock on someone's door, when you talk with your neighbor, what comes to your mind? Is it because my church members will see me and know that I am a good Christian and they will say, you are very good? Is it praise from people? Or is it a soul that you see and you can't go to heaven without that soul, without that person? This week, as we think about Thanksgiving, as we think about all the blessings we have, ask God, what moves me? Is it another soul or is it a medal? We rarely see athletics and Olympic champions in the hospital for 45 days with blood infection, with sepsis. But that day, Shavarish was not caring about medals, but for the lives of people. My prayer is today 
that we would see how God dives for us every day in this sinful atmosphere to save us. And looking at his love for us, we learn how to die for others. Not for awards, not for medals, but for one more life. May we say, as a famous person said on a hill, one more, one more. Jesus finishes this text and he says, you are my friends if you do my commandments. I pray we are all friends of God today.